0: Part Two, Chapter Six of The Man of Property. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Janet West. The Foresight Saga The Man of Property by John Galsworthy. Part Two, Chapter Six Old Jolyon at the Zoo. Old Jullion disposed of his second meeting, an ordinary board, summarily. He was so dictatorial that his fellow directors were left in cabal over the increasing domineeringness of old Foresight, which they were far from intending to stand much longer, they said. He went out by underground to Portland Road Station, whence he took a cab and drove to the zoo. He had an assignation there one of those assignations that had lately been growing more frequent, to which his increasing uneasiness about June and the change in her, as he expressed it, was driving him. She buried herself away, and was growing thin. If he spoke to her, he got no answer, or had his head snapped off, or she looked as if she would burst into tears. She was as changed as she could be, all this through Bissini. As for telling him anything, not a bit of it and he would sit for long spells brooding, his paper unread before him, a cigar extinct between his lips. She had been such a companion to him ever since she was three years old, and he loved her so. Forces, regardless of family or class or custom, were beating down his guard. Impending events over which he had no control threw their shadows on his head. The irritation of one accustomed to have his way— was roused against he knew not what chafing at the slowness of his cab he reached the zoo door but with his sunny instinct for seizing the good of each moment he forgot his vexation as he walked towards the tryst from the stone terrace above the bear pit his son and his two grandchildren came hastening down when they saw old julian coming and led him away towards the lion-house they supported him on either side Holding one to each of his hands, whilst Jolly, perverse like his father, carried his grandfather's umbrella in such a way as to catch people's legs with the crutch of the handle. Young Jolian followed. It was as good as a play to see his father with the children, but such a play as brings smiles with tears behind. An old man and two small children walking together can be seen at any hour of the day, but the sight of old Jolian with Jolly and Holly seemed to young Jolyon a special peep-show of the things that lie at the bottom of our hearts. The complete surrender of that erect old figure to those little figures on either hand was too poignantly tender, and, being a man of an habitual reflex action, young Jolyon swore softly under his breath. The show affected him in a way unbecoming to a foresight, who is nothing if not undemonstrative. Thus they reached the lion-house. There had been a morning fete at the botanical gardens, and a large number of foresight—that is, of well-dressed people who kept carriages had brought on to the zoo, so as to have more, if possible, for their money, before going back to Rutland Gate or Brinston Square. "'Let's go on to the zoo,' they had said to each other. "'It'll be great fun. It was a shilling day, and there would not be all those horrid common people.' In front of the long line of cages they were collected in rows, watching the tawny, ravenous beasts behind the bars await their only pleasure of the four-and-twenty hours. The hungrier the beast, the greater the fascination. But whether because the spectators envied his appetite, or, more humanely, because it was so soon to be satisfied, young Julian could not tell. Remarks kept falling on his ears. "'That's a nasty-looking brute, that tiger. Oh, what a love! Look at his little mouth!' yes he's rather nice don't go too near mother and frequently with little pats one or another would clap their hands to their pockets behind and look around as though expecting young jolyon or some disinterested-looking person to relieve them of the contents a well-fed man in a white waistcoat said slowly through his teeth it's all greed they can't be hungry why they take no exercise At these words a tiger snatched a piece of bleeding liver, and the fat man laughed. His wife, in a Paris model frock and gold nose-nippers, reproved him. How can you laugh, Harry? Such a horrid sight! Young Jolyon frowned. The circumstances of his life, though he had ceased to take too personal a view of them, had left him subject to an intermittent contempt, and the class to which he had belonged, the carriage class, Especially excited his sarcasm. To shut up a lion or a tiger in confinement was surely a horrible barbarity, but no cultivated person would admit this. The idea of it being barbarous to confine wild animals had probably never even occurred to his father, for instance. He belonged to the old school, who considered it at once humanizing and educational to confine baboons and panthers, holding the view, no doubt that in course of time they might induce these creatures not so unreasonably to die of misery and heart-sickness against the bars of their cages and put the society to the expense of getting others in his eyes as in the eyes of all foresights the pleasure of seeing these beautiful creatures in a state of captivity far outweighed the inconvenience of imprisonment to beasts whom god had so improvidently placed in a state of freedom it was for the animals good removing them at once from the countless dangers of open air and exercise, and enabling them to exercise their functions in the guaranteed seclusion of a private compartment. Indeed, it was doubtful what wild animals were made for but to be shut up in cages. But as young Jolyon had in his constitution the elements of impartiality, he reflected that to stigmatize as barbarity that which was merely lack of imagination must be wrong for none who held these views had been placed in a similar position to the animals they caged, and could not, therefore, be expected to enter into their sensations. It was not until they were leaving the gardens, Jolly and Holly in a state of blissful delirium, that old Jolyon found an opportunity of speaking to his son on the matter next to his heart. "'I don't know what to make of it,' he said. "'If she's to go on as she's going on now, I can't tell what's to come. I wanted her to see the doctor, but she won't.' She's not a bit like me. She's your mother all over, obstinate as a mule. If she doesn't want to do a thing, she won't, and there's an end of it. Young Jolian smiled. His eyes had wandered to his father's chin. A pair of you, he thought, but he said nothing. And then, went on old Jolian, there's this Bassini. I should like to punch the fellow's head, but I can't, I suppose, though I don't see why you shouldn't, he added doubtfully. What has he done? Far better that it should come to an end if they don't hit it off. Old Jolyon looked at his son. Now they had actually come to discuss a subject connected with the relations between the sexes, he felt distrustful. Joe would be sure to hold some loose view or another. Well, I don't know what you think, he said. I dare say your sympathies with him. Shouldn't be surprised. But I think he's behaving precious badly, and if he comes my way I shall tell him so. He dropped the subject. It was impossible to discuss with his son the true nature and meaning of Bacini's defection. Had not his son done the very same thing, worse, if possible, fifteen years ago, there seemed no end to the consequences of that piece of folly. Young Jolyon was also silent. He had quickly penetrated his father's thought, for, dethroned from the high seat of an obvious and uncomplicated view of things, he had become both perceptive and subtle. The attitude he had adopted towards sexual matters fifteen years before, however, was too different from his father's. There was no bridging the gulf. He said coolly, "'I suppose he's fallen in love with some other woman?' Old Jolian gave him a dubious look. "'I can't tell,' he said. "'They say so.' "'Then it's probably true,' remarked young Jolian unexpectedly. "'And I suppose they've told you who she is?' "'Yes,' said old Jolian. "'Somes's wife?' Young Jolian did not whistle. The circumstances of his own life had rendered him incapable of whistling on such a subject, but he looked at his father while the ghost of a smile hovered over his face. If old Jolian saw, he took no notice. She and June were bosom friends, he muttered. Poor little June, said young Jolian softly. He thought of his daughter still as a babe of three. Old Jolian came to a sudden halt. I don't believe a word of it, he said. It's some old woman's tale. Get me a cab, Joe. I'm tired to death. They stood at a corner to see if an empty cab would come along, while carriage after carriage drove past, bearing foresights of all descriptions from the zoo. The harness, the liveries, the gloss on the horse's coats shone and glittered in the May sunlight, and each equipage, Landau, Sociable, Barouche, Victoria, or Brougham, seemed to roll out proudly from its wheels. I and my horses, and my men, you know indeed, the whole turnout have cost a pot, but we were worth it every penny. Look at Master and at Mrs. Now, the dogs, ease with security. Ah, that's the ticket, and such as every one knows is fit accompaniment for a perambulating foresight amongst these carriages was a barouche coming at greater pace than the others, drawn by a pair of bright bay horses. It swung on its high springs and the four people who filled it seemed rocked as in a cradle this chariot attracted young jolyon's attention and suddenly on the back seat he recognized his uncle james unmistakable in spite of the increased whiteness of his whiskers opposite their backs defended by sunshades rachel Forsythe and her elder but married sister winifred darty in irreproachable toilettes had posed their heads haughtily like two of the birds they had been seeing in the zoo, while by James's side reclined Darty, in a brand-new frock-coat buttoned tight and square, with a large expanse of carefully shot linen protruding below each wristband. An extra, if subdued, sparkle, an added touch of the best gloss or varnish characterized this vehicle, and seemed to distinguish it from all the others, as though by some happy extravagance, like that which marks out the real work of art from the ordinary picture, it were designated as the typical car, the very throne of foresight Old Gillian did not see them pass. He was petting poor Holly, who was tired, but those in the carriage had taken in the little group. The ladies' heads tilted suddenly. There was a spasmodic screening movement of parasols. James's face protruded naively, like the head of a long bird, his mouth slowly opening the shield-like rounds of the parasols grew smaller and smaller, and vanished. Young Jolyon saw that he had been recognized, even by Winifred, who could not have been more than fifteen when he had forfeited the right to be considered a foresight. There was not much change in them. He remembered the exact look of their turnout all that time ago. Horses, men, carriage, all different now, no doubt, but of the precise stamp of fifteen years before. The same neat display, The same nicely calculated arrogance, ease with security. The swing exact, the pose of the sunshades exact, exact the spirit of the whole thing. And in the sunlight, defended by the haughty shields of parasols, carriage after carriage went by. "'Uncle James has just passed, with his female folk,' said young Jolyon. His father looked black. "'Did your uncle see us?' "'Yes?' (laughs) "'What's he want coming down to these parts?' An empty cab drove up at this moment, and old Jolyon stopped it. "'I shall see you again before long, my boy,' he said. "'Don't you go paying any attention to what I've been saying about young Bissinny. I don't believe a word of it.' Kissing the children, who tried to detain him, he stepped in and was borne away. Young Jolyon, who had taken Holly up in his arms, stood motionless at the corner, looking after the cab. End of Part 2 Chapter 6 Recording by Janet West